What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 15 of the Next Byte podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how Charm Industrial is addressing the carbon offset controversy, a new drone companion to help you reach your fitness goals, and why our friends at MIT and ONR took a trip to the North Pole. I'm Daniel. And I'm Forbode. And this is the Next Byte podcast. Every week, we explore interesting and impactful tech and engineering content from Weevolver.com and deliver it to you in bite-sized episodes that are easy to understand, regardless of your background. All right, let's get poppin' with our first article about Charm Industrial removing carbon from the atmosphere for the tech company Stripe. And I want to give a quick shout out to our friend Johnny Henderson. Thanks for being a great friend of the pod and for suggesting for suggesting this awesome article. We're excited about it. Johnny's a super fan. Yeah. We, we love Johnny. We love you, Johnny. Um, let's get rolling on it. All right, so if you're unaware of the overall concept of carbon offsets, basically it's a mechanism for companies to purchase carbon removal from the atmosphere to offset their own emissions. And that's because, like, say I'm a tech company it might be more efficient for me to pay you to plant trees for me than for me as a tech company to learn how to plant trees and create that infrastructure on my own. So overall, it's a good concept, but in practice, it's a little different. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. It's important to note that it's like kind of controversial because there was actually like a Bloomberg article about it. These companies want to show that they're doing something good and green but their carbon offset projects aren't actually taking any additional carbon out of the atmosphere. So in the article they wrote, like companies like JP Morgan and Disney were paying to protect forests that were not in danger to begin with. (laughs) And then they were using the carbon that those trees are capturing to offset their own emissions. Yeah, that's... And like, apparently like 85% of these efforts are like with aligned with that kind of behavior. Yeah, so needless to say, and with that information in mind, it's pretty conservative to say that many carbon offset efforts are sketchy or a sham at best. Um, so charm enter charm. They're trying to basically create a new, better way that is actually taking carbon out of the atmosphere and sequestering it, which is just a, you know, carbon sequestration. is just a fancy term for taking carbon out of the atmosphere and storing it somewhere. And in this case, they're trying to store it deep in the earth. Um, Kind of like what uh, Prometheus was doing with their jet fuel. Exactly. So we talked about Prometheus fuels, taking carbon dioxide out of the air and turning it into jet fuel. Charm is doing that, but instead of being net neutral like Prometheus is, they're trying to actually be carbon net negative. So they take carbon dioxide out of the air and they bury it deep in the ground, basically returning it to where carbon used to be before we started burning all these fossil fuels. Where, Where are they putting it in the ground? Well, so here's the thing is they... Their approach is they take biomass. Right now they're focusing just on like wood waste, lumber waste and wood chips and sawdust. And uh, they turn it into this bio oil and this ash and then they inject it into holes in the ground, into wells. Why why don't they like, I don't know, why don't they just like dig holes? Instead of like- Doesn't that make more sense? Making the oil and everything? Yeah. Like why don't they just dig a hole and just put- the the wood in there yeah well so they talked about companies that have been doing this that they just dig giant holes and then bury a bunch of crap in there so that it doesn't off gas and the reason they're talking about biomass here is because um all this like 
compost that we have, all this organic matter, when it's breaking down, there's microbes eating it and they're actually releasing carbon dioxide and methane into the air. So like, okay, if, gotcha. if you go take a tree and you cut it down and it rots in the wood, there's actually carbon emissions from that. The CO2 makes it into the atmosphere. So instead of letting it get into the air, they're going to bury it in the ground. So it degrades anaerobically and there's no carbon emissions. But instead of just digging a hole in the ground, they're turning it into this oil and an ash. And they're doing that because it's more scalable. And so they don't have to go dig big holes because we already have wells that are empty that we dug to drill for oil and to drill for water years and years ago. So they're using these old abandoned wells and they're turning them into injection wells to store carbon deep in the Earth's crust. Okay, so hold up. If they're going to the same areas where they like, we used to like get crude oil and they're putting this stuff back in it doesn't that like mess with the environment like drinking water the surrounding wildlife like is that a concern at all well they're working closely with the epa to make sure that they're not affecting the drinking water quality at all and the epa has different classes of wells based on their depth and how close they are to the water table and i think there's they go from class one to class five and uh charm has found a way to be uh you know symbiotic with the environment in some way that the EPA has cleared them to be able to use multiple different classes of these wells to inject their oil into. Okay. So they're doing a good job with the drinking water. And as far as seismic activity goes, they basically do admit that by pumping stuff into the earth, you can lubricate the faults between the tectonic plates, basically making it easier for tectonic plates to shift, maybe increasing the amount of earthquakes and things that we have. They understand that that's an issue, but they're basically saying what we're doing is such a tiny drop in the bucket compared to how much brine is being injected to frack and stuff like that. So they're basically saying they're moving a needle a lot on carbon sequestration without moving the needle a lot on seismic activity. Okay, that makes sense. They, they're aware of their drawbacks. They seem to actually be doing something that is positive that is actually taking carbon out of the atmosphere do you have any numbers on this yeah that's I, that's what i wanted to talk about next is the numbers so for every okay. one ton of this bio oil that they have um it basically sequesters a net 1.53 tons of carbon dioxide and the way that works is they put it in this pyrolysis process they get this carbon rich oil and then they also get this oxid ox, oxygen rich ash that they spread they use that as fertilizer and then the rich carbon-rich oil is what they're injecting into the earth. So for every one ton of this oil that they make, 1.53 tons of CO2 that would have been emitted is now sequestered in the earth. That's great. Wow, that's if actually If you take into solid. account the production, the transport, the injection, all that energy expenditures, they still net around 1.44 tons of CO2 sequestered in the earth. So, I mean, it seems like a pretty efficient way of doing this. And they basically say... Out of all the waste that there is in the world, all this biomass waste that, you know, is unused right now, if they could even like use just a tiny fraction of waste food or waste crops or waste wood, they could start to sequester giga, like literally gigatons, millions of tons of CO2 every single yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Jeez. So it okay. s- started with this tech company Stripe. They delivered on their commitment early to them. There's another few tech companies signing on. I think Microsoft did as well. It's exciting. That's what I was going to ask you about. Like, are other people getting on board now that they kind of proved themselves with Stripe? Yeah, they've got some early adopters and it it seems to be moving well. That's exciting, man. Again, uh, I'm happy you brought up the fact that like this is, this is a controversial area. Every time I hear about like carbon offsetting, my eyebrows kind of raised, but 
you know what? Kudos to them. It looks like they're trying to do the right thing. They're aware of their drawbacks with the process. And yeah, I'm excited for uh, where, where this project goes. But you know what? Let's let's take things to the sky. Let, let's leave the ground for a little bit. And let's talk about fitness drones. So this is an idea that like really first started to arise around 2012. Essentially, you have the wearables market, which is massive. And then you have the recreational drone market, which is pretty big in itself. And the intersection between the two seems to be fitness drones, and there's some interest to it. So in 2012, you had the uh, Excursion Games Laboratory at RMIT University of Melbourne. And they developed this drone that was meant to be like a pacer. It would fly at about 10 feet away from a runner. The runner would have this t-shirt that had a very specific, unique marker so that the drone could identify them. And it would, it would just act as a pacer, and it could only work for about 30 minutes or so. But people really started liking it. Like, the researchers were talking about how the users, the testers, started referring to the drone as, like, a he or a she. So they started really bonding with it as a companion. And what was really interesting is that not only was it being used as a pacer, but they were finding motivation within this drone to work out until the drone died. Like... It was basically a companion. Well, that's what I've got to say. Like, I I enjoy running quite a bit, and I do it to exercise a lot. But, um, I I don't like running alone that much at all. I really enjoy running with my girlfriend Nelly. I really enjoy running with my brothers, but it's challenging to run alone. So it would be nice, and I'm also terrible at keeping pace. So it would be nice to run with a drone like this to help me keep pace, to kind of like accompany me when I have to run alone. And if you know me, I'm always trying to run with someone else so I don't have to run alone. So maybe this could solve You never try to run with me, man. Yeah. You never try to accompany me when I'm running. What's up with that? (laughs) We'll we'll take this offline. But yeah, I know what you mean. And it it looks like that's what they were really going for. But, you know, they did a great job. They demonstrated the potential that this technology could have. And that, that was really it. It was never meant to be commercialized with the concept that they made. Then in 2015, you had the University of Nevada that came up with a drone whose goal was to really help blind people be able to navigate around the track without having assistance from anyone else. And again, they they were able to demonstrate the capabilities of this thing. It had its own drawbacks. It couldn't be used indoors because the the drone was using auditory feedback to help the runner. Mm -hmm. And some of that was getting messed up and it was also really loud, yada, 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 but it did work. So they were able to demonstrate. I think that's like, a pretty novel application of this because I don't know. I ran track in high school and I saw a lot of cross country meets and track meets. It's incredible to see these blind runners, but oftentimes they actually need a guide runner, someone who's like able to run faster than them or as fast as them to help guide them on the track. Um, I imagine it'd be challenging to be a competitive blind athlete and not being able to practice or run without a someone to guide you so something like this could really like open up doors for them in terms of being able to train and perform and compete in the way that they want to exactly or even like i like if if you're someone like me who's not like a professional runner but every now and then you know you get this burst of energy and you want to go for a run it'd be nice to have something that helps you to give you that freedom yeah and you're not just dependent on anyone else but basically these two researchers did did a great job at taking these steps forward and now in 2020 we had students at um, Hongik University in South Korea. They came up with a concept drone. It's called the Traverse Drone. And it's supposed to be a personal fitness drone. Okay. So this thing is 
like a system composed of two parts. There's this thing that you wear around your neck. It's essentially a necklace. It's called a pod. And then you have the drone that's going to follow you as you run. While you're running, the drone is analyzing you. It's analyzing your form, your speed, et cetera, et cetera. And it's giving you feedback in real time to tell you to like, hey, you should correct your form and things like that. And then after you're done working out, it takes all that data and sends it to an app on your smartphone. It analyzes it and it gives you insight about your health, how much better you're doing in comparison to last week and things like that yeah this maybe i'm in the target market for this because each time that you mention this new technology i get excited about it but um i think about like last summer or the summer before i was training a lot alone um nelly and i were going to run a half marathon but she lives in boston i live in virginia so we were training separately i trained a lot alone and i ended up getting these repetitive strain injuries because my form had degraded over time and because i was running alone i didn't have anyone to tell me like Hey, like pick your legs up or like stop landing flat on your foot like that. Like you're, you know, you're doing it wrong. And, you know, I get back to running with Nelly or I go to our friend Brandon, like right away, he says like, oh, your form's wrong. You need to fix it. So having a drone like this to accompany me and give me insights on my form and my pace and my posture, this would have been really helpful during that training. Yeah, I bet. And again, like, I don't think these drones are just limited to working out. Like fitness would be a great start for it. But if you want to go, you know, for a walk at night and you don't feel safe, they could be like a little safety thing. Or if it's like the elderly or visually impaired people and they want to navigate inside their homes, they could be like an extra assistant instead of it being another person. So I feel like the potential for this is really big. In my mind, I kind of think a good application of this could be like a Fitbit where it's like first in the market of wearables and then it just kind of changes the game forever. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're I think you're like, perfect analogy there with fitbit because you know there wearable technologies existed but before fitbit it wasn't mainstream at all and now we're looking at you know if something like this traverse drone kind of breaks the mold and shows everyone the whole world of possibilities for drone accompanied fitness and travel and recreation this could be really exciting yeah i'm with you i want to give a quick shout out to our friend elliot for suggesting this topic it was awesome thanks elliot Um, And we've been up in the sky for a little bit with these drones. Now let's dive underwater and talk about MIT and the Office of Naval Research uh, traveling up to the North Pole with some Arctic submarine drones. Um, And Let's zoom out just a little bit and talk about how submarines travel. They basically use sonar, um, which they send pings of sound, and they measure how long it takes that sound to travel back. And they use that to locate where it is, to look for obstacles, to look for other ships underwater. But what that's really dependent on is the characteristics of the water that it's in. And there's this unique phenomena in the Arctic Circle now with global warming where warm water is mixing with cold water. And basically all the science that we know right now about how sound travels in water is being thrown out of the door because of this warm and cold water mixing in the Arctic Circle. Dude, I, I think I read like an article about that. Is it like Bay, Bayfort's lens? Yeah, is the that Beaufort called? lens. Beaufort lens. There you go. Yeah, it's like what sound travels four times faster in that area because there's like a little region where the sound waves get trapped between the smoothness of the warm water and the cold water is that right exactly so okay in the arctic circle with the with global warming basically sound's been traveling four times further than expected because instead of bumping into the ice at the top or bumping into the bottom of the ocean it's been bouncing between these pockets of hot and cold water and sound travels really far really fast and they don't really understand how this works so what mit's been doing to help the navy they created an 
uh, autonomous underwater vehicle, AUV, basically just a submarine drone that they put underwater, and they also installed a bunch of buoys at the top near the ice cap. And what they did is they drove this submarine through the water, and they pinged these buoys to locate where it is, and then it also used sonar and collected a bunch of data about the salinity of the water, the temperature of the water, the current that it was in, the pressures, basically to understand all the characteristics of water and use the buoys as a backup system to say, hey, this is where I actually am, and try to correct the algorithms that we're using now with sonar. So they're for navigation, like the buoys are there to navigate. Yeah, exactly. So the buoys are okay. like training wheels. They're using it to navigate now, and the hope is that moving forward, they won't need to install a bunch of buoys every single time you want to send a submarine under the Arctic ice cap. They're just using them as training wheels now, collecting a bunch of data about how sound travels in the water. So hopefully they have an algorithm later to say, I'm in this water with this level of salinity, with this temperature, this pressure at this location. This is how I can expect sound to travel. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. That's really cool. And I guess it's just to make exploration around the Arctic areas, or I guess the North Pole easier. Yeah, right? well, so specifically in the North Pole, this phenomenon has been occurring a lot with the hot and cold water mixing. Um, and they also say with the ice caps melting, there may be new trade routes or new routes for ships to travel in. Basically, the Navy wants to be able to put submarines up there, leave them under the ice caps for long periods of time and be able to accurately locate them. That's really cool. And it's well, like a, a cool, happy story, I guess, for this MIT uh, location algorithm. They actually, while they're in the North Pole, they had a really bad ice storm and they like mm -hmm. basically lost this submarine drone underwater. And they had to use their location algorithm to go find it where it was stuck underneath the ice. And they were able to accurately locate it and cut open the ice to pull it out. So like in terms of practical applications of use of their technology, it worked right out of the box. So that's exciting. I'm I'm happy for them. I, I would have been heartbroken if I spent that much time and energy on a project just to lose it because of some inclement weather. Yeah, exactly. That's, that is a happy story. Well, Dan, I, I don't really have much else to say about any of these articles, but let me ask you a question. Do you like giveaways? I sure do. That's great to hear because every month, we are going to be doing a giveaway. And this is how it's going to work. To our listeners, if you leave us feedback on any of our social media accounts, that's at Next Byte Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, even on email. You can email us at the next bike, the next bite at weaveover.com. Give us any feedback and you'll be entered to win. And this month, I think, what is it? The Arduino starter kit? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be entered to win a really, really cool prize. This is just our way of showing you guys how much we appreciate you. We just got over 4,000 downloads and we want to keep supporting the community and keep getting better. Yeah, if you've got so, yeah. a great suggestion or some feedback on how we can improve, hit us up and uh, we're looking forward to giving away an Arduino starter kit to whoever gives us the best feedback. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone. Peace. That's all for today. The Next Byte Podcast is produced by Weevolver. And to learn more about the topics we discussed today, visit Weevolver.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please review and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or one of your favorite platforms. I'm Forbode. And I'm Daniel. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.